0: thank you please be seated well good morning. good morning glad you're here happy thanksgiving weekend i hope you all had enough to eat and celebrated with many different kinds of thanksgiving meats as we did at our home and got to enjoy your families and one another this weekend did everybody have a great time at their thanksgiving celebrations yeah all right very good we did as well we ate to our till our fill we had a good time Uh, We did things a little bit different this year. I know the the traditional thing for Thanksgiving is kind of to have a turkey or a ham, and I'm sure a lot of you did that. We had a brisket at our house this year, and it was amazing. What a welcome change for Thanksgiving. So it was was a really good time, really good food. We had a great time, and I hope you did as well. In the spirit of uh, Thanksgiving meat celebration today, I've got a little story I want to begin with today. It's about a chicken and a pig. Some of you may have heard this at one point or another, but it's an interesting story, and I think it illustrates where we're going to go today pretty well. There was a chicken and a pig who lived on a farm, and the chicken and the pig had a pretty good life. They really enjoyed the farmer that took care of them, that fed them, that supported them, that did all the things that he did uh, basically to provide for their existence. And one day, the chicken comes up to the pig, and he says, Pig, I've got an idea. You know, we've got it pretty good here. We've got a really good farmer. He takes pretty good care of us. I think we ought to do something for him. And the pig says, you know what? That sounds like a good idea. I'm in. What do you got in mind? The chicken says, you know, I know the farmer. He really likes breakfast. He likes a good, healthy breakfast. And, you know, he doesn't have a lot of time to make breakfast because he's got to feed us. He's got to tend the crops. He's got to take care of the farm. He's a busy guy, and I think it would be a really great idea if we made him breakfast. And the pig says, all right, that sounds good. What are you thinking? What should we make? And the chicken, realizing he didn't have a whole lot to offer, he says, well, you know, I I could throw in a few eggs. And we could make him some eggs. And the pig says, well, okay, that's not a bad idea. But I think he's gonna want a little more than the eggs. Any other ideas? And the chicken thought for a minute and he scratched his head and he says, I've got it, ham. He really loves ham. We'll make ham and eggs. Then he says to the pig, what do you think of that? He says, there's only one problem with your ham and eggs idea. You're the one making a a contribution here, but I'm gonna be fully committed, okay? What is the problem there? One was just making a contribution. They wanted to do a good deed. They wanted to do the right thing, but they were only making a contribution. The pig was going to be fully committed. He was going to be all in on this deal. That's where we're going this morning as we open the word together. We're going to look at the concept today of being all in. We want to be a people who are not just somewhat committed. We want to be a people who are not just making a contribution. We want to be a people who are not merely involved in what we call the Christian life, but we want to be fully committed. We want to be all in. And today we're going to continue our study in Ephesians chapter 6, where we've been for the last several weeks. We've been looking at this concept and this idea of spiritual warfare and spiritual battle and how spiritual warfare is something that is to be expected in the life of the believer. When you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you entered into his kingdom and into his family, it did not automatically remove you from the risk of pain or difficulty or suffering. In fact, it actually increased that risk to you. All believers will endure a time of spiritual warfare or spiritual battle in their lives. It is those who are fully committed, who are completely in on the spiritual walk with Christ who will survive and who will persevere through these spiritual battles. Spiritual warfare is not for the faint of heart. It is not for the lightly committed. It is not for those who just simply want to be involved on the periphery of the Christian life. It is for those who are all in, who have given everything and have fully committed their lives to following Christ. We spent the last six weeks looking at the armor of God. We talked about what it meant to take up and put on the belt of truth. We talked about the breastplate of righteousness. We talked about the shield of faith. We talked about the helmet of salvation. We talked about the sword of the spirit. And I know I forgot one of those, but I forget which one. But we talked about all six pieces of the armor of God. And we talked about how they were critical in our defense and in our our offense in spiritual warfare. Each one of those things is important. Each one of those things is useful. But in the end of Ephesians chapter 6 in this passage, there is one more concept that the Apostle Paul, writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit, introduces to his readers and to us by extension. That concept is prayer. Okay? And he talks about the importance of prayer and how it is absolutely critical and necessary in the life of the believer if we have any hope of standing firm against the evil one in that day. We must be a people of prayer. Now, we need to understand this concept of prayer is not part of the whole armor of God. We covered all of those things. Prayer is something that works in tandem with the armor of God, it is not part of the armor. It is not a helmet, it is not a belt, it is not a sword, it is none of those things. But rather, if you would prefer to think of it as the rallying cry for believers. It is the rallying cry that draws God to our side, that brings him to our side and causes him to intervene on our behalf. What we've learned over the last several weeks is that the battle that we are fighting is a spiritual one. It is not a physical battle that we're fighting at all. Though we've described the armor of God in physical terms with swords and helmets and belts and shoes and all of these different things. Gospel shoes, that's the one I forgot a minute ago. Uh, We've described it with all of those things. The battle we actually fight is not physical. It's spiritual. We don't do battle with a literal sword. We do that with a spiritual one. The word of God, that is what we use in that battle. We need to understand in prayer, this is where we're actually doing our battle. This is where we're actually getting into the fight. All of the things that we were to take up and put on are there for our protection and there for our use, but they are simply things. They are things that we gather up and draw unto ourselves and that we can use, but in the arena of prayer is where we actually put them to work. Our battle is not fought uh, with flesh and bone. It is fought with the powers of darkness, uh, the principalities in the air, those who rule over this present darkness, and so forth and so on. Our battle is to be fought on our knees in prayer. That is where the believer does their battle. And that is what we're going to discuss today. If If I hope to have any success in the spiritual battle that if I'm not currently in, I will eventually find myself in, I need to be a person of prayer. I can take up all of those weapons that we talked about in the armor of God, and they are critically important. But if I never do anything with them, have I really accomplished anything? The answer to that is no. It reminds me of a lot of people I've known in my life, and and maybe even I'm guilty of this to some degree, who have gathered up a lot of things to protect themselves against various uh, seen foes and so forth and so on. You know, I've got got a few guys that collect a lot of guns and a lot of ammo and they've got ready-to-eat meals stored up in their place. They're waiting for doomsday. And I don't necessarily have a problem with that. It's probably good to be prepared. But if they're just continually gathering up things and preparing, but never actually getting into a battle, never actually doing anything, are they actually accomplishing anything? I would argue no. No. It is good to be prepared. We should do that, but we actually do have to at some point join the fight because the fight is going to come to us whether we believe it or not. You may not be in it today. You may not be in it tomorrow, but at some point you will. And if it's not you, then perhaps it's your family member. Perhaps it's one of your children or a friend or a fellow believer from church. If you're not in spiritual battle right now, you soon will be or you know someone who is. Your responsibility in that battle is to protect yourself by taking up the whole armor of God. It is to petition God to protect you and to fight on your behalf. But it is also your responsibility in mind to intercede on the behalf of others. And in chapter 6, verse 18 today, we're going to see this concept of prayer. It is mentioned four times in 26 words. One verse, 26 words, the word prayer is mentioned four times. The word all is also mentioned four times. Anytime you see a word repeated like that in such a short span or in such a short sentence, you should take notice. Scripture is trying to communicate something to you that is vitally important. The repetition of words in Scripture makes the statements emphatic of utmost importance. We should sit up, take note to what they're saying. Today, we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about what that means, what that looks like. We're going to talk about what it means to intercede for others and how these things are critical to the mission of the church. So if you open your Bible today, we are in Ephesians chapter 6 again, and we are in verse 18. It's what we'll be looking at today, talking about the spiritual battle. How do I win the spiritual battle? What do I do to overcome spiritual warfare? Number one, let's look at this together. I need to pray. P-R-A-Y. Our outline today is an acrostic. We're going to fill in these letters. Each letter stands for a principle of what the believer should do. Number one is that P. I need to plug in to the power of the Spirit. Okay, If you're engaged in spiritual battle, or even if you are not, and you're looking toward that time when you'll be engaged in spiritual battle, you must, as a believer, plug into the power of the Spirit. It is He who gives you your strength, gives you your power, gives you your encouragement, gives you the ability to stand before the enemy. Remember, in verse 13, verse 14, the the writer to the Ephesians has admonished us to stand. Therefore, stand, he says. These things are coming. Be prepared, be ready, and you need to be able to stand. We can only do that if we plug in to the power of the Spirit. Verse 18 says in the beginning there, praying at all times in the Spirit. Praying at all times in the spirit. The first appearance of that word prayer and the first appearance of that word all. Pay attention to those. Praying at all times, he says, our prayer is to be perpetual. It's not something that is supposed to be intermittent. It is not something that is supposed to be occasional. But our prayer is to be perpetual. The Bible also says that believers are to be engaged in prayer without ceasing. Prayer without stopping. Now, what do we mean by that? Let's talk about that for just a minute. Because I'm convinced that a lot of us as believers have a misunderstanding of what it means to pray without ceasing. It does not mean that I am continually talking to to God without ever stopping my words. That is not what it means. We need to understand prayer is to be understood as an open line of communication between the believer and God, it's an open line of communication. Prayer is not always me talking to God. It's not always you talking to God. Sometimes it's you listening for God. Sometimes it's God speaking to you. Sometimes it's you responding to God. I'm convinced that a lot of Christians only see prayer as what we do when we're speaking. That is not all that's involved. When the Bible says to pray at all times, it means to have that continual open line of communication. And as I was thinking through this concept a little bit the other day, I, I, was, I was thinking about communication. And I had to think of uh, my middle son, Jeb. He's 18 years old, and he's, he's been dating this girl for a little while, and they are in constant communication with one another. But they don't do it the way most of us probably did it when we were dating our spouses. They're in a continual line of communication via text string. Okay, I remember when I was dating my wife as a young man, we would call one another on the phone, or I would go to her house and see her. But that's not always how it is today with this younger generation. With smartphones, the the two of them, Jeb and Caitlin, they have this open line of communication via text. There's really not ever a, a hello or a goodbye. There's no introduction. There's no conclusion like in a phone call or in a greeting. They just constantly are responding back and forth to what's going on in their lives, whether they're together or apart. It's this open line of communication. Sometimes he's speaking. Sometimes she's speaking. And I, I know this for a fact because he lives in my home and I hear the phone. Ding, ding, ding. That's when she's speaking. And then he, and he's back and forth. And it's not, it's not regular. It's not interval. It's just kind of sporadic. But it's continually open. They don't have to introduce themselves or start anew with a conversation. It is just an open, continual conversation with one another. That is how our prayer life is to be with God. We are to be in an open, continual line of communication with God, whatever it may be. Sometimes it's not me speaking at all. Sometimes it's just me listening, hearing what God has to say, responding to what God has told me to do. If the Bible says to pray without ceasing. It means to have that open line of communication. If you look at 1 Thessalonians 5.16, this is not on your screen, but it says, "Rejoice always." Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing, continually be in thanks toward God, continually speaking to Him, hearing from Him. This is the type of communication that we are to have with God, a perpetual one. The passage says to pray at all times, this is what it means, to be in perpetual communication with God. But it doesn't only say to be in perpetual communication, continuing uh, prayer it also says that we need to be purposeful in our prayers okay the bible never speaks of believers lifting up vain prayers or repetitious prayers particularly if you're in spiritual battle vain prayers mean nothing repetitious prayers mean nothing Spiritual battle is a difficult thing. It is a painful thing. It is a hard thing. And the prayers that we lift up to God are usually ones that are given in, in light of that pain, in light of that agony or that difficult. Most of them begin with, oh God, help me. Oh God, save me. Oh God, protect me. Those are the types of prayers that it's admonishing us to offer up. It says that we need to be purposeful. How are we to be purposeful? Well, when we do this praying at all times, we don't just do it vainly or repetitiously, but we do it how? In the spirit. Praying at all times in the spirit, that phrase in the spirit modifies that perpetual prayer. Don't miss that in this passage. So many people I looked at studying through this only focused on the praying at all times. And while that is important, it is not the entire meaning of that passage. Praying at all times in the spirit is what it's communicating. Don't be vain, sporadic, or random with your prayers. But in the spirit, him interceding for you. Praying in the spirit. Ceaseless prayer is modified by this phrase. It doesn't just mean pray all times me talking vainly to God. But it rather means seeking the spirit Being filled with the Spirit and lifting up my praise, my request, my petition, whatever it may be to God. It should be purposeful. We know this to be true. Ephesians 2.18 tells us this. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. What is my purpose in prayer? It is for God to hear me, is it not? And to act or to respond according to my prayer. How do I do that? I do that through the Spirit. The Spirit is through whom I pray. God does not hear or respond to my prayers apart from the Spirit. Right? So if He only hears or responds to my prayers in the Spirit, isn't that then how I need to pray? The answer to that is yes. We must have an advocate to intercede for us with God. Ephesians 2.18 tells us that the Spirit is the one who does that. He is the one who intercedes, who goes between us and the Father, making our requests known to God so that he hears and so that he responds. All of us at one point or another have needed an advocate in our life. We have needed, as as lost people, we have needed Jesus as our mediator. As believers, we need the Spirit as our interceder or our go-between. But even in our secular lives, we've all needed an intermediary at one point or another. Perhaps most of you or some of you in your careers at one time or another had someone who spoke up for you in an employment situation. Or you had a mentor, or you had a counselor, or you had someone who was willing to intercede for you with another person in order to gain you access to that person. That's happened for most of us. I remember when I was younger and I started out in business, I didn't have a lot of access to what we would call the powers that be in the construction industry in this city. I needed an intermediary. I needed an advocate. I needed someone who could go between me and those powers that be to gain me access to building developments, to financing, to all of these different things that I needed. And I found those in a number of different people. Sometimes they were sales agents who would sing your praises over the quality of your product. Sometimes they were people who had done business with you and would speak up for your honesty uh, or so forth in business dealings. But we all need an advocate in one way or another at some point in our lives. The Spirit is the one who acts for our adv- as our advocate and intermediary between us and the Father. So we should have purpose in our prayer. We should seek Him out and pray in the Spirit. Okay? Not only that, but we should also uh, plug into the power of the Spirit preemptively. I need to get ahead of the game here. Spiritual warfare is coming. Difficulty is coming in my life. I need to be prepared. I need to take preemptive action in order to do that. Uh, The filling of the Spirit is something that all believers are commanded to seek. If we look at Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit... Be filled with the Spirit. It's interesting that this comes in the chapter before the one we're currently studying. If you look at chapter 5 where we're admonished to be filled with the Spirit, the writer then launches into how this will affect all of our relationships between husbands and wives, parents and children. But it also is a preparation or a primer for how we are to do spiritual battle. We need the filling of the Spirit in order to be prepared for battle. So I seek the filling of the Spirit in order to be prepared for what is coming. Okay, I'm convinced that a lot of us today are not aware of the battle that we are in. We are not aware of what the issues are that we're involved in. We, we misinterpret our circumstances. We misinterpret our situations. We can't do that. We need, in order to be effective, to see things rightly and to see as they are. That way we can respond correctly and overcome the issue or the circumstance that we find ourselves in. Is that not correct? I remember when I when I moved into the house that I live in now we had to plant a new yard. We build a new house, we plant a new yard, grass comes up, everything's going really good. But all of a sudden, a few months later, the grass begins to turn yellow. And then it kind of starts to turn brown. And I'm convinced, not having a lot of experience in growing grass, clearly there's not enough water on this lawn. So I crank up the sprinkler system, we're gonna put more water on it. Well the grass just gets yellower and browner, and then it begins to wilt. And i what is going on with this grass? Clearly, I'm not putting enough water on this grass. So crank up the sprinklers a little more, right? Put a little more water to it. The grass doesn't get any better. Finally, after several weeks of this, I call my dad. I'm like, can you come look at this and tell me what is going on with this yard? He comes over and he looks at it and goes, you're watering too much. You got a fungus. It had a fungus. I completely misinterpreted what was going on with my situation. I didn't know what it was, and I was using the wrong method to try and correct the problem that I had. I'm convinced that a lot of us are doing that in our spiritual battles that we're fighting today. We're misunderstanding the situation. We don't see rightly about what's going on, and we're using the wrong methods to combat the problem. We, don't, we shouldn't be doing that. If we are filled with the Spirit, the Spirit will guide us into all truth. The, the Spirit will guide us and lead us into what needs to be done. The problem, I think, with most of us is is that we are problem solvers, and we try and fix everything that we possibly can before we reach out to God. Right? I will assess the situation. I will make every effort I can possibly make to address this first. And then, and only then, if I've not succeeded, I will then reach out to God, and hopefully he will take care of the problem for me. Right? That's how most of us work. But we cannot do that. The Bible says that is not the way to do it. We are to have the Spirit intervene for us. So, we need to plug into the power of the Spirit. We need to do that perpetually. We need it continually. We need to do it preemptively. But we also need to be proactive about it. We've got to do something. So much of our faith, I'm convinced, people think that we just sit on the sidelines and don't really do anything. It's about the intake of knowledge and understanding. And it's not. Scripture does actually command us to do something. This passage here in Ephesians 6 talks about doing something. It says, praying at all times in the Spirit. Why? Why do I need to seek him? Because I'll tell you right now, when you're in the midst of a battle, more often than not, you cannot see your way out of it. You can't see what's going on. You don't know what moves to make. And I'm convinced a lot of the time we don't even know what to pray for. We don't know how to pray to God. We don't understand our situation and we don't pray rightly. The Bible admonishes to pray rightly, and we do that through the Spirit. He is the one who interprets for us. Even though we don't know what to pray, how to pray, the words to use, the Spirit, the Bible says, still intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep to understand. The Spirit knows what we need, and the Spirit intercedes for us. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, the way the one where we can't see our way out. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep, too deep for words. We don't know what to say, we don't know what to do, we don't know how to pray, but the Spirit does. We need to be proactive about plugging into his power because it is he who will equip us and intercede for us and give us the right path to follow. I remember one time, anybody in here ever been caught in a blizzard? Yeah, probably most of you. That is a very disconcerting feeling if you've ever been in a blizzard or a whiteout condition. I remember one time 10 or 12 years ago I had taken our oldest boys Christmas shopping and it started snowing while we were out shopping and we were trying to get our way back home. But the snow was falling so heavily, and the wind was blowing so hard, it was a whiteout for a couple of hours that afternoon. You couldn't see. We pulled off the highway up on 25th Street North, and, and it was literally just white. You couldn't see the bridge. You couldn't see the road. You couldn't see anything. And we didn't know what to do. We couldn't see which way to go. You didn't want to turn one way because you were going to end up back on the highway, and you might get hit. You didn't want to turn the other way because you might drive you know, clean off the roadway. We couldn't see what to do and where to go. For a lot of us, that's what it's like when we're in times of spiritual battle. We can't see what to do. We don't see clearly. We, we haven't assessed the situation correctly. The Spirit does that for us. He intercedes for us. He says the things that we don't know what to say. He says to God, he intercedes with God for the things that we need. And then he guides us through, through the situation and through the battle. It is his power that we need to plug into. So we need to plug into the power of the Spirit, but we also need to reach out in all situations. When we're in spiritual battle, we've got to reach out to God. Like I said a moment ago, most of us are problem solvers, and we tend to want to solve our own problems. We will exhaust every avenue available to us first before we ever turn to God. But Scripture doesn't speak of it that way. Scripture says, reach out to God first in every situation. If you look at the passage there in the second part of verse 18... With all prayer and supplication. It says praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. If you want to, in your Bible, right there where it says all. This is our second all for today. Insert the word kinds. Praying at all times in the spirit with all kinds of prayer and supplication. That's what that passage means. All different kinds of prayer. There's not just one kind of prayer, right? We understand there to be multiple kinds. There is thanksgiving, there is adoration, there is intercession, there is confession, there is petition. That's probably the one we're most familiar with. There are a number of different kinds of prayer and this passage here is admonishing us to use every one of those at our disposal because every situation is not the same. Some require petition, some require making requests to God. Oh God, help me. Save me, shield me, protect me, encourage me, strengthen me. Those are prayers of petition. But sometimes it's not us who are even in the battle. Sometimes it's our friend, family member, or fellow believer. We need to be interceding for them. Oh, God, help Bob. Oh, God, help Dave. Oh, God, help Tim. They're battling this situation. I'm interceding for them. Sometimes I just need to pray a prayer of adoration. God, you are able You are mighty, you are strong, nothing gets by you, you can do anything, prayers of adoration. Sometimes it's confession. Why am I in spiritual battle in the first place? Sometimes it's sin in my life that has brought that into my life. Sometimes I need to confess that sin to God and be released from that sin. Remember, we understand sin to do what? It gives opening to the devil, doesn't it? Sin in my life gives opening to the devil. But the Bible tells us never to give an opening to the devil. That sin in our lives needs to be dealt with, whatever it may be. So sometimes in those situations of spiritual warfare that we find ourselves in, we need to confess. It isn't the prayer of petition that we need, oh God, help me. It's, oh God, forgive me, for I've done wrong. Release me from this sin, cleanse me from this unrighteousness. Sometimes that's the prayer that's needed. It has to be reflective. When we're in spiritual battle, we need to make good decisions. We need to make right decisions. We can only do that when we reflect on the circumstances that we find ourselves in. As I said, there's many different situations and many different prayers that need to be used in those situations. I need to be reflective. I need to try and make good decisions. Appraise the situation rightly. And that's what it means to be reflective, making good decisions Okay, each of these different kinds of prayer are important, particularly in spiritual battle. They have different uses, different purposes, but each and every one of them is important. They need to be reflected on. But I also need to reach out to God in these situations reflexively. Okay? Let's look at that for a minute. You know what a reflex is? We normally think of a reflex. There's two different kinds. There's a natural reflex, and that's the one where we think of where we go to the doctor's office and we sit on the little gurney and he takes the little hammer and whacks us in the knee and your leg jumps forward, right? That's a natural reflex. Okay. But there are also learned reflexes, right? If I were to have a ball here and I started to throw it at you in the audience, your reflex would be what? To duck, right? You would get out of the way of a flying object. I remember we had a little puppy 16 or 17 years ago and this puppy wasn't very old and it didn't know anything. And I had a ball and I was going to play ball with the puppy, right? Right. The problem was the puppy didn't know what it meant to play ball. So the puppy's laying on the floor and I roll the ball at it and the ball hits it right smack in the face. It never moved. It didn't know. It had no clue. Now, after three or four times, it figured it out. It doesn't take very long. But it's, that's a learned reflex. When something happens, I need to get out of the way. I need to react. I need to respond. That's how we're to be. In spiritual battle, in spiritual warfare. When I find myself in a time of spiritual battle or warfare, I need to be reflexive in my prayer. The moment I enter into what I suspect may be spiritual warfare, my instant reflex, my learned reflex should be pray to God. Pray to God. That's my reflex. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. When do I pray to God? In everything, whatever it may be, in every situation and everything that I do, my reflex should be to pray to God. Remember that open line of communication that we talked about earlier? That's where this kind of comes into play. I don't need to set aside a special time and go to a special place and do anything, you know, fancy about it. I just need to engage that open line of communication that I have in every situation of my life. Even in good times or bad times or whatever they may be, I need to reflexively engage the spirit and pray to God. You know, this, this idea of a reflex is something that we have to learn. It's not something that necessarily comes to us naturally. Just like the puppy finally learned to get out of the way so the ball didn't hit it in the face, you and I have to learn to have prayer be our first reflex. Why? Because we're problem solvers. And we continually want to solve our own problems. But that's not what the scriptures say to do. The scripture says your first instinct, your first reflex should be to pray, to bring God to your side, to rally him. That is why prayer is so important. Prayer rallies God to our side, to our cause, to our situation. That is to be our first reflex. In times of spiritual warfare, that has to be our first instinct. It can't be our last resort. Okay, Prayer is to be our first instinct in times of spiritual warfare, not our last resort. Okay, so I need to plug into the power of the Spirit. I need to reach out in all situations, but I also need to advance toward the coming victory. Okay, there is victory coming in your spiritual battle, there is victory coming in your life as a Christ follower in general. We need to be a people who are advancing toward that. So, to win the spiritual battle, I need to advance. Oftentimes, I think we see spiritual battle as something that merely involves holding our ground, right? I'm here. The devil is attacking. I just need to hold my ground. But the Bible doesn't speak about it that way. The Bible speaks about advancing in light of the attack. In light of the battle, it's advancing. It's taking additional ground. It's moving forward. It's gaining. It's pushing the gospel forward out ahead of me. It's not simply just enduring, but it's advancing as well. So I advance toward the coming victory. If you look at the third part of verse 18 there, he says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. To what end? Well, he's basically saying with this in mind, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, with that in mind, keep alert, pay attention, and persevere. That's what he's saying. Keep alert, pay attention. We need to understand that as Christ followers, the victory for us has already been won. We know even in the book of Ephesians that it says to us that every spiritual blessing has been granted to us. We have victory in Christ. It has already been won. The battle has already been won. For those of us who've placed our faith and trust in him, that victory has already been secured. But we're not living that daily practically. Because we still have struggles. We still have difficulties. We still have battles that we're fighting day in and day out. So we need to understand that what this passage is looking toward is actually twofold. Number one, it's looking toward the eschatological victory of Christ when he returns to the earth and sets everything aright, right? One day Christ will return. He will judge all men and everything will be set aright. So in one sense, it looks toward that. But it's also looking toward those daily spiritual battles that we're all engaged in. What are we to do? How am I to respond? How am I to behave? What is the thing that I can do in my daily spiritual battle? Okay, secondarily, it looks forward to these continual spiritual battles that we find ourselves in. These battles come for a number of different reasons. As I said a moment ago, sometimes they come as a result of sin. Sometimes they come as a result because the enemy is simply trying to knock you off your game. Maybe God has called you to do something and the enemy is trying to thwart the thing that you are called by God to do. They come for a number of different reasons. But we need to look at this in the sense that we are to be Watching for them. The Bible says that spiritual battles will come. We need to keep alert. We need to be watchful. We need to be looking for the things that encompass these spiritual attacks. Oftentimes, I'm convinced that we miss a lot of those. We misinterpret our situation and what is going on. We don't recognize that the enemy is using people in our own lives. Sometimes the enemy will use your family member or your friend or even fellow believers to attack you. Now, what I mean by that, I don't mean that Satan takes possession of them or anything like that. But he does, in some senses, influence people to do things that are an attack upon you. Even Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, right? What was he saying? He said, I know what you're doing here is a result of what the devil's influence on you. You and I experience that as well. The enemy influences people in our lives. We are to be alert to that. We are to be watching, understanding that these things are coming. We need to make good decisions about what's occurring. Why is this person doing this thing or saying this thing or causing me this trouble? The reason is because they're being influenced by the enemy. They may know it and they may not. We don't know. But the point is is the enemy uses people and brings them against us to attack us. We are to be alert and watching for that is what this passage is communicating. We have to watch. OK uh, Not only should we watch, but we have to do something in response. We need to pray. What is it admonishing us to do? To pray? pray, pray, pray. Don't just stand there and let it happen to you. Don't take matters into your own hands, but we need to pray. Two concepts here inside this short little passage. To that end, keep alert means I need to amplify my awareness. Okay. I've got to be watching. I've got to be looking. I've got to be prepared for what may come down the line. I cannot live my life ignoring what is really going on in the world and wait for things to happen to me. I need to prepare in advance. I need to be looking for the next thing that is coming down the pike. In the same way that doctors often, when they cure a disease, they don't just retire and go home and thinking they've accomplished everything, do they? No, they're looking for that next thing that's coming down the line. They've defeated one, but there's always another that's coming. There's always some greater disease, some deadlier bug or whatever it may be. We need to be like that as well. We need to understand that even though we're in a spiritual battle and we may have won this battle, this war is going on for a lifetime. And there will always be something else coming down the pike, something else coming down the line that we need to be watching for, that we need to be aware of, that we need to be alerted to. Mark 13, says this, Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. This is looking at, at the end times, Jesus speaking there. He's admonishing believers. He says, watch Pay attention. You don't know when the time will come. You don't know when things are going to happen. You're not privy to that information. But the key here is is that I want you to watch. I want you to be alert. I want you to stay awake. Be aware of what's coming. That is true for spiritual battle as well. We need to be watching and be looking for what's going on. Okay? Uh, Most of us, unfortunately, are too spiritually aloof to realize what's going on when we're in spiritual battle. I count myself in that group sometimes. We completely miss it. We're just not in tune with what is going on spiritually in our lives and in our world. We have to be more diligent about paying attention and being alert to what occurs. Because when we're aware, when we're looking, when we're alert, we can then take action to mitigate the attacks that are coming, right? But if I'm blindsided by something, I am much more likely to be damaged or hurt in that encounter than I am if I'm prepared for it. So I need to be alert. I need to be watching for it. But secondly, I need to actualize my faith. Okay? Again, I've got to do something. I need to learn. I need to absorb. I need to be. But I've got to do something as well. To that end, keep alert with what? With all perseverance. There's the third appearance of that word, all. All perseverance. What does perseverance mean? I think most of us have the idea that perseverance simply means to endure. And it does to some degree. It does mean to endure difficulty, endure pain, endure tough situations, whatever they may be. But we also need to look at this in the context that that perseverance does not only mean to endure, but it also means to advance in light of. Even though I've suffered a setback from X, Y, or Z, (coughs) excuse me, I still need to advance. Even though this thing is causing me pain, I still need to advance. Even though this is very hard for me, I still need to advance. I'm not to duck and cover and wait for it to pass. I'm supposed to be advancing in light of the difficulty. That is what I mean by actualizing my faith. Putting my faith, the thing that I say I believe, into action. How do I do that? Well, we've already discussed. I do that through prayer. Faith, or excuse me, prayer is the greatest example of faith that I can demonstrate. Would you pray to a God that you did not believe existed? No. Would you pray to a God that you didn't think could solve your problem? No. You wouldn't do any of those things. So to pray to God in the Spirit is to pray believingly. It is to pray in faith. It is is putting action to the faith that I say that that I have or that I possess. You remember the Apostle Peter? Matthew 16, 13, I believe. He tells Jesus, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? What does Peter say? He says, you are, the, you are the Christ. You are the very Son of God. But yet, just a few chapters later, what do we find the Apostle Peter doing? He denies Christ three times. Was he actualizing his faith there? No. He made a proclamation, yet he didn't act upon it. That's sometimes what we do with our prayer life. I think we throw out a prayer But we don't act upon it. We don't live our life believing that God can or will act in our situation. We don't actualize what we say we believe. But if you look at the Apostle Peter, even just a little ways later, he encounters the risen Christ. He's now going to actualize his faith. And he preaches to the masses and 3,000 are saved. What is the difference? He would argue, He probably he would argue that he had the same faith all along, but clearly we can see from the text that he did not. He did not ever put that faith into actualization until he encountered the risen Christ, and then and only then were results realized. That's how we need to be. We have to put our faith into action. It is only then that we'll realize any results at all. Okay, until we put our faith into action, we won't have any effectiveness in our battle either. Okay, we can't... The enemy is not scared off by our proclamations. You can proclaim to believe in Jesus and his power and all of these things all you want to. That doesn't faze the enemy one bit. But a praying warrior on his knees interceding with God the Father in his situation scares him to death. The Bible says pray and he will flee from you, right? Resist the devil. What does he mean by resisting? Remember, it's not a physical fight we're having. Resist him how? Spiritually, in prayer resist him, and he will flee from you. And that's what we're admonished to do. Okay, so we plug into the power of the Spirit. We reach out in every situation. We advance toward the coming victory. But finally, there's one more thing we need to do. We have to yield. Mm, How many of us like that word? We have to yield. Yield to what? A greater purpose. We have to yield to a greater purpose. The end of the passage says this, making supplications for all the saints. The fourth appearance of that word, all. Making supplications for all the saints. Not just your mom, not just your kids, not just your wife, all the saints. Not just your life group members, not just your church, all the saints. All the saints everywhere, whoever they are. That is who we are to make supplication for, who we are to intercede for. The writer doesn't make this wholly about us individually. It's about the church at large. We have to remember that we are not the only thing God has going, though many of us live that way. I'm convinced we live our lives thinking that our situation, our circumstance, and our life is the only thing that God has got going on right now. That couldn't be farther from the truth. God has much larger purposes than any single one of us could ever ever be, could ever amount to. We need to be willing to make supplications for all the saints because there are other people, there are other purposes that God has, other people that God intends to use that we need to be interceding for. We do, of course, pray for our friends and our family members and our life group members and so forth and so on and our church and other people. But God has people all over the world. We are to be interceding for all of those. It doesn't use the word all here in a general sense. It is specific. All means all. It means every believer. Not just the ones that you know or that I know. Okay, and we need to understand this yielding is threefold. Number one, it's individual. I need to actively pray for other people. I need to do that. If you look at Ephesians 1.15, the the Apostle Paul writing again, for this reason, because what? Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you. Paul made it individual. He prayed for those people. He interceded for other people. It's an individual thing that we must do, but it's also an institutional thing. We have to pray corporately for people as well. It's not just something that I do or that you do or that you do, but it's something that we do as a congregation, as a corporate body, as an institutional body. We intercede for other churches, for other believers across the world, wherever they may be. Colossians 1.9, if you look at the first part of the verse, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Who is the we? The we, well, the writer is Paul, but he's referring to him and all of the other fellow believers that he is with. We as a group, we as a body, we as a group of believers, as a church, whatever it may be, we are praying for you. We have not ceased to intercede on your behalf. We are institutionally, corporately praying for you. We are rallying the power of a group of believers together and interceding in the Spirit to God the Father on your behalf. What an amazing thing. I am, I am convinced that we are not fully aware of the impact that that can have in the life of believers. A corporate body of like-minded believers interceding on the behalf of people, I am convinced we, we will never understand, maybe until Christ returns, just how powerful a tool that is. To gather together and pray as a body, to intercede for people who are in battle, who are in warfare, who are fighting in, in some part of the world, carrying out the commission of God in their lives. It must be institutional. Thirdly, it needs to be intentional or specific. In all cases, we have to be intentional about how we pray for people. Remember, I said at the beginning don't just throw up vain prayers. Don't just toss up a prayer, oh, God, you know, those people in Africa, if you could look out for them and give them whatever they need. You know, I don't really have anything invested in, don't know about it, but God, if you could sure help them out, that'd be all right. That's not the type of prayer the Bible admonishes us to pray. The Bible says to be specific, to be intentional in your prayers. If you look at the continuation of that passage in Colossians 1.9, it picks up there. We never cease to pray for you, and what do we do? asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Look at that for a minute. Paul is praying specifically. What does he ask for? He asks for wisdom. Why does he ask for wisdom? So that it accomplishes a purpose. He's specific. I'm praying to God, we're praying to God, that He will grant you wisdom, so that you can walk in a manner worthy of Him. He prays for something to accomplish something. He's intentional in his prayers. That is how we need to be as well. Fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened. Here's another one. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for what? Why Why do we want to strengthen you with power and with endurance, with all these things? So that you may endure and have patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. He prays for something to accomplish something. That's how we need to be praying for one another. We need to be interceding in a way where we are specific. What do you need? What do you need? What does this congregation need? Praying for you specifically so that God may accomplish something as a result of it. That's what intentional prayer is. That is what a non-vain prayer is all about. It's being intentional with it. That is what we are called to be. That is how we are called to fight this battle. We are to intercede in the spirit to God the Father on behalf of other believers who are fighting these spiritual battles and who are waging war for the kingdom of God. We are to pray for them intentionally, specifically, so that that victory is gained, so that they can be edified and and grown up in the faith, so that they can be strengthened stronger in battle that they can endure and they can persevere through all of the difficulties that they're enduring. We have to be willing to yield our personal situation, our personal circumstances to a greater purpose. You know, there's a saying politics is local, right? What does that mean? It simply means the most important thing is what's going on in my backyard. I'm kind of concerned about this stuff out here, but I'm most concerned about what happens right here. And unfortunately, I think a lot of believers live that way as well. We're most concerned with what happens in our backyard. We're not really too concerned with what's going on out here. But the scriptures don't talk about it like that. The scriptures say that we need to be concerned in everything. Because God has a larger purpose in mind. And I need to yield my desire, my pain, my whatever to this larger purpose that God is seeking to accomplish. I need to make supplication. I need to intercede for all those in the faith. Okay, I want to conclude with this this morning. This comes from a story uh, entitled, May All Your Prayers Be Answered. I thought it was an interesting story. We're going to conclude with this this morning. A shipwrecked during a storm at sea, and only two of the men on it were able to swim to a small deserted island. The two survivors, not knowing what else to do, agreed that they had no other recourse but to pray to God. However, to determine whose prayers should be more effective, they agreed to divide the island between them and stay on opposite sides of the island. The first thing they prayed for was food, and the next morning the first man saw a fruit-bearing tree on his side of the land, and he was able to eat its fruit, but the other man's parcel of land remained barren. After a week, the first man was lonely, and he decided to pray for a wife. And the next day, another ship was wrecked, and the only survivor was a woman who swam to his side of the island. But soon the first man prayed for a house, and he prayed for clothes, and he prayed for more food. And the next day, like magic, all of these were given to him. However, the second man still had nothing. Finally, the first man prayed for a ship so that he and his wife could leave the island. And in the morning, he found a ship docked at his side of the island and boarded the ship with his wife. And since none of the other man's prayers had been answered, he considered him unworthy to receive God's blessings. So he decided to leave the second man on the island. As the ship was about to leave, the first man heard a voice booming from heaven. Why are you leaving your companion on the island? The voice said. I received all of these blessings as the a result of my faith and the prayers that I offered, the first man answered. His prayers were all unanswered, and so I figured he does not deserve anything. The voice boomed again You are sorely mistaken and are in a great debt to him. How's that? The first man asked. It was his great faith that invoked the blessings, and it was he who prayed that all of your prayers might be answered. Interesting story, but I think it illustrates well what goes on in a lot of our lives. One guy was praying for himself, looking out for his best interest. The other guy on the other side of the island was praying that that guy would be blessed. That's what the passage we read this morning is talking about at the end of that verse. Making supplications for others, interceding, For their benefit, for their blessing, for their healing, for their deliverance. That's the kind of people we are to be. That's the kind of people, person that Christ was, intervening on our behalf so that we could be healed, we could be restored, we could be redeemed. We are called to be that kind of people as well. Are our blessings the fruits of our prayers and work alone or are they of those others who are praying for us? Interesting question to ask yourself. Is it your prayer and your work that is bringing blessing into your life? Or is there somebody out there praying for you? Let's pray.